0: Hello, and welcome to the DebtWire Middle Market Podcast. I'm Giovanna Azevedo, and I'm Katherine Kurloff. Today, we're joined by Patrick Gilbert, Managing Director and Head of Underwriting at Summit Investment Management. Prior to Summit, Patrick spent most of his career as a restructuring-focused investment banker at Miller Buckfire and as a middle-market private equity investor at Key Principal Partners, currently Cyprium Partners. He also worked as a director in corporate strategy at Ameriprise Financial, a publicly traded asset and wealth management company. And today, Patrick joins us to discuss the current state of distressed investing and where distressed funds are finding opportunities right now. Given ample market liquidity and the slowdown in restructuring, activity. Hi, Patrick. How are you doing today?
1: I'm good. Thanks for having me. I'm I'm doing well.
0: Great. Thank you so much for joining us. So just to start out, could you give our listeners some background on Summit Investment Management and the types of investment opportunities that you guys focus on?
1: Yeah, sure. So, So Summit's a distressed debt and special situations firm. And, and really, we focus on, on two primary credit strategies. You know, our, our first and, and really primary strategy for us is distressed debt purchases, where we're looking to buy existing debt in the secondary market, either related to uh, commercial real estate or or C&I type credits. Um, most of our distressed debt purchases you know, tend to be senior secured debt, uh, which we're buying directly from commercial re- lenders rather than in the public debt markets. We also tend to gravitate towards situations where there's hard asset collateral to protect the investment's downside, but there can be exceptions to, to that rule of thumb. Uh, otherwise, we also do opportunistic credit, which, which is really just another way of saying loan originations. Uh, here, our, our primary strategy is providing financing to middle market and, and lower middle market businesses in situations where a traditional lender either either can't or won't lend to a situation. You know, th- this is often the case with exit financing and our typical playbook here is provide a loan which may carry a, a high coupon rate, uh, but is limited, in some cases has no prepayment penalty. Uh, in, in these deals, you know, we probably try to take an equity stake, uh, which often makes up the majority of our, our return dollars. You know, sometimes we, we might overlap these strategies. Uh, for example, we might be working with a borrower to buy some of its existing debt at a discount while also extending some, some new money capital. Uh, but, but generally speaking, these are the primary uh, types of opportunities that we focus on.
2: Great. I guess coming to this pandemic as a distressed investor, and now we're sort of in this period of uh, high growth, or at least um, maybe coming out of it. But how is the you know current scenario in the market different from what you might have imagined it would have been, you know, back in March when all of this started?
1: Yeah, no, look, that, that, that's a great question. I think if if you would have you know gone back to the third week of of March uh, and you told me that within you know fifteen or sixteen months that Public equity markets would be at all time highs, unemployment would be back under six percent and, and distressed opportunities would be, be hard to find. I would, I would have told you you're crazy. But, you know, here here we are. You know, I, I think at the time we really thought that we would see you know, something on par with the financial crisis, which, you know, from the perspective of, of most distressed investors and, and some as well, created this sort of multi year environment where we had you know, plentiful and attractively priced priced deals. Um, you know, I think while well, the drivers were different than the financial crisis, you know, I think it's hard to argue that the, the near-term economic fallout of the COVID-19 pandemic uh, was, was in some ways was worse, right? You had previously successful businesses that were all of a sudden, you know, generating uh, no revenue and liquidity was drying up very quickly, you know, particularly for middle market and lower middle market businesses and borrowers, which which we typically lend to since they don't have the same access to, to capital markets as, as, you know, Bigger, bigger businesses and borrowers. You know. Additionally, if you look at loan losses, you know, loan losses during the first and second quarter supported the comparison to the financial crisis. I I think in the first quarter of two thousand twenty, loan loss provisions taken by U.S. banks were fifty three billion. uh, You know, only to be outdone with sixty three billion in in the second quarter of two thousand twenty. And the only real historical comparable to that is the loan loss provisions that, that were taken during the financial crisis. So with that backdrop, you know, I think our strategy at the time really was to focus on opportunities where we had a chance to earn outsize multiples of our invested capital, you know, call it, if our typical deal is is sort of, you know, 1.4 to 1.6 times, uh, you know, a multiple of our invested capital, we were really looking for opportunities where we could make two and a half to to three times. And our assumption was really that the market would become more and more favorable as we got towards the end of 2020, uh, as liquidity would would become more and more scarce uh, in the economy. And, and look, with that strategy, we were able to make a number of really successful investments in the second and third quarter of 2020. But our thesis of, of liquidity evaporating for the economy really, really didn't come about, you know, largely due to the unprecedented level of government support and stimulus with, with PPP and EIDL loans really becoming uh, game changers. So, you know, also unexpectedly, we ended up in an environment that was overwhelmed with liquidity. And, you know, when you couple that with the the pace of, of the COVID-19 vaccine development, it, it really changed the views of a lot of loan sellers. And, you know, they started to become more patient since since most borrowers weren't in any sort of dangerous of, of experience liquidity crisis. And, and the prospect of an end of the pandemic seemed in, in sight. Uh, and You know, as unlike the financial crisis, which, you know, I think probably had give or take 10 consecutive quarters of loan loss provisions of, of at least $40 billion dollars. U- U.S. banks only took $14.5 billion of, of loan loss provisions in Q3, uh, $3 3000000000 in Q4. And then if, if you look what happened in the first quarter of this year, they actually had a, a $14.5 billion draw on provisions, which, which is effectively just a reversal of previously taken loan losses. And, and I think that's the first time that's actually happened in history.
0: So were there any sectors or industries that created the best opportunities during the COVID-19 pandemic for distress investing?
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think one of the the interesting aspects of the pandemic, from from our perspective, was that you had a disproportionate amount of deals that were concentrated in just a, a small handful of, of sectors. So, you know, energy and retail, you know, these have really been multi-year distress themes, and, and those were accelerated by the pandemic for for a variety of reasons. You know, but but for us, we sort of shied away from both of those those sectors and haven't made a lot of historical investments. So for us, the biggest opportunity came in, in three, three sectors, uh, one being restaurants, uh, number two being hotels, and then religious institutions, uh, which has always been a, a focus of ours, uh, also presented opportunities. So you know, maybe starting with restaurants, you know, this actually, historically, the restaurant sector has never really been a focus um, for Summit. And if you kind of go back to you know, the way we think about deals and having downside protection, uh, you, you, know, you really don't have that in, in the restaurant sector. Um, but if you look at it last year, I think, you know, probably a third of the capital that we invested uh, was invested in, in the restaurant space. And part of that shift was really just the basis at which restaurant debt could be purchased. I mean, I think several of the deals that we bought, we bought in the range of 10 to 15 cents. Um, but, but you know, sort of beyond the purchase price, um, you know, if you looked at a lot of, you know, the deals we closed uh, related to restaurants, you really had to have a willingness to invest additional capital. To weather the COVID-19 storm, with the, you know the thought process being that eventually the world would would return to normal, uh, and you know you'd have a total basis, in including new capital that you invested, uh, that would seem attractive on the other side. You know I think the, the biggest challenge with that approach was trying to assess a risk that that no one you know fully understood. And we were making assumptions about how long the pandemic's effects would last, which was clearly an, an unknown. Uh, But but despite those challenges, for the most part, our thesis in the sector has played out pretty well. Uh, We we exited a number of deals already. uh, And for the deals that we've stayed in, if you looked at the financial performance of the borrowers, it it actually mirrors 2019 uh, pretty closely. Uh, You know, the other sector I mentioned was was hotels. Uh, Unlike restaurant, hotels have actually been a historical focus for Summit uh, and a place that we've experienced a, a lot of investment success. You know, I, I think we, we easily saw more opportunities in the hotel space uh, than any other industry by by a pretty wide margin. Uh, but you know the interesting thing to us was if you looked at the makeup of the deals, it was very different than when we're, where we have invested historically, uh, which has usually been in, in you know challenging assets. you know I think that the, the typical summit hotel deal you know might be an older property with, with deferred capex needs or, or maybe a situation where you have a pip. Uh, that the the operator can't fund at least to the, the brand's expectations, but but that really wasn't representative of the type of hotel deals we saw during the pandemic. You know, the, the, the deals we saw were largely comprised of really high quality assets, um, you know, more more institutional type of assets than than we had seen uh, you know over the course of our investing history, and and they really you know they traded at relatively small discounts, particularly particularly during the third quarter and, and then during the fourth quarter. Um, and the rationale really was you had a number of banks who wanted to go to report to Wall Street how they had reduced their exposure to COVID impacted industries and number one on that list was the hospitality space. So we did end up making a handful of, of hotel trades. I mean, I think that was probably 25% of the invested capital that we put to work last year. But these tended to be you know, select deals that actually you know, had some hair on them. For, you know, for example we acquired uh, a loan secured by a, a 400 room convention center hotel which was an investment we made in the early days of the pandemic uh, you know th- these types of assets the convention center hotels are are still slow to recover uh, but you know we felt confident based upon the location uh, and the historical performance of the hotel uh, which we thought would improve as the, the hotel was upbranded to uh, to a Hilton flag um, we also made an uh, investment in a hotel that had some construction-related issues as part of a conversion to a to a new upbranded branded flag. Uh, you know, and I think that sort of dynamic had scared off a lot of the yield buyers, and and, and those types of buyers um, are the types of investors that that you know bought most of the hotel loans that were offered for sale last year. Uh, I think the the last area that I mentioned uh, was religious institutions and churches. Uh, you know, like like hotels, that's actually been an area of focus. For some historically, and, and we've probably been one of the biggest purchasers of this kind of paper over the last last decade. Um, you know, the, the challenges are obvious here, right? You know, with no in person services, tithing levels fell off dramatically, which made these loans, which are you know difficult to refinance during good good times, uh, nearly nearly impossible to address. Um, you know, other than that, we we also saw a number of of dentist, dental practice management or, or dental related deals. We only made one investment in that sector, which was actually a chain of dentist offices and malls. If you can, if you can wrap your mind around that, um, you know, if you if you want to talk about something that was a contrarian play in in a business which was double hit in the way by COVID, both on the mall side and and obviously just the uh, the fall off in people getting dental procedures. Uh, but as it seems, it actually be, ended up being one of our most successful investments uh, during the pandemic. And again, it it goes back to what I talked about with restaurants. Those that, that really just based on the level at which we could buy the debt.
2: Got it. Yeah, I mean, that's very interesting sort of how you've adjusted, you know, adjusted your typical strategy or your historical strategies to meet the moment. So now that, you know, as you said that, the total thesis of how 2020 play out would play out where there'd be a liquidity crunch. You said, you didn't quite come to fruition. There's been a lot of government spending, the economy sort of booming. Now you guys are still sort of focused on distress. Um, how is the paradigm shifted again in terms of where you look for opportunities? Are you still kind of focused on those three sectors? I mean, they still probably are coming back slower than other pandemic affected sectors uh, just because of the profoundness of the impacts like what you mentioned with the conference center. But um yeah i guess uh you know how how has your strategy continue to evolve like today twenty twenty one um in this environment
1: yeah so 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 you know a lot of the things that we did during during two thousand twenty have started to recover and and there's not quite as many opportunities i mean you're still seeing a little bit in in the hotel space um you know more so for business travel than than things that are leisure travel related um but but the opportunity you know set has shifted it, it it's still you know, I think most of the things that we're seeing at this point um, tend to have some kind of COVID-19 related overhang. Um, but, but it's not it's not the same opportunity set that we saw in in 2020. It, it, you know, it's things that are having a slower recovery. So, you know, j- just to give a couple examples. So we did a deal uh, earlier in the year. Um, it, it was a company called Aztec Schaefer, uh, which is a business focused on on parting party uh, rental and and sort of you know live event um live event uh rentals um you know those are starting to come back now you're starting to see uh, more sort of live events and more sort of mass gatherings but you know it didn't have the same recovery during the first quarter and second quarter uh you know maybe that you saw in, in restaurants as an example um you know another place that we've you know focused on and i think continue to look for deals is in is in the motor coach industry Um, So, so the motor coach industry is, is, you know, as I've looked at a lot of these COVID impacted industries, I mean, this is probably the most impacted industry that I've seen, right? If if you think about it, you know, a lot of these operators, which just, you know, tend to be small, they're they're more sort of mom and pop businesses generally, Um, you know, most of them had little to no revenue during 2020. Um, What else is interesting about that? If you you look at the rest of the transportation sector, if you look at, at airlines, if you look at rail, you know, there there was some type of extraordinary governmental support, even sort of beyond PPP loans and sort of um, the the other government programs that were available to, to most borrowers. So so a lot of these a lot of these businesses, you know, really didn't have any revenue and they didn't uh, they didn't have any sort of extra government support. So we, we've we've done one trade in the space. We've partnered with a group that um, that owns a, a you know probably called 40 percent of the used motor coach uh, used motor coaches in the country. Uh, and we continue to look for for opportunities in that sector. I mean, it's, again, similar to the live events industry. It's starting to come back, uh, but it's just a, a little bit longer road than, than some of the, the types of industries that we looked at during 2020.
0: So following this 180 shift in market conditions, have you found yourself having to become more creative to get deals done given the liquidity situation in the market right now?
1: Yeah, you know, to take the the, the first part of the question, um, you know, the, the short answer is, is yes, we, we are trying to find ways to be more creative. But I think, you know, this tends to take, you know, more of the form of how we approach structuring deals as, as opposed to some sort of, you know, wholesale wholesale change in, in strategy. You know, the, the the biggest challenge right now, and it's really been a challenge probably since, you know, I don't know, call it, call it the fourth quarter of last year, um, you know, is getting lenders to transact, right? Because they, they you know, You have the prospect of a economy that's rebounding and you have a vaccine rollout that's taking taking hold as the economy reopens. One one deal where we've sort of been able to get around this is is just going back to the Aztec Schaefer transaction that I mentioned. There you had a large insurance company, uh, which was the company's pre-petition lender. I think think they were owed about $45 million. uh, and, And we approached them about buying their debt. Um, you know they they saw the same opportunity we did though right which was you know the chance to invest in a business which had a high probability of recovery um, you know as with a return to, to pre pandemic life so you know the workout to this was how we structured the deal so uh, you know we basically basically structured a transaction where the pre-petition lender got a little bit of cash up front uh, a new note on the same terms uh, as, as Summit received and we gave them like a twenty percent equity position. Uh, alongside Summit, which had a 30% equity position, uh, and then our equity sponsor of the deal, which was a, a company called Arena Events Group, which is a, a UK-based uh, publicly traded uh, event rental business. So, you know, it, really that structure got got us over the hump. You know, it gave, it gave enough incentive and an ability to, you know, let the pre lender enjoy an eventual recovery of the business. Um, and, and that's, you know, again, this is just the, the biggest challenge is getting lenders... Who have this, you know, wait and see mentality, kind of over over the hump. So that's one way we've got it about around it, uh, just with how we structure our transactions. You know, as, as, as to the second part of your question, which is, uh, you know, middle market issuers uh, versus larger bars. You know, I, I think that you know the challenge for for middle market businesses, right? Just generally is, you know, they they tend to have more concentrated customer bases. They don't have the same sort of access to capital markets. They, they usually operate um, with, with less liquidity uh, and they, they don't have as experienced management teams. So, you know, for, for sort of large cap um, companies, you know, the, those that can access the high yield bond market, the leveraged loan market, um, you know, they, I think they've had a lot more sort of ability to weather the storm. Um, that, that hasn't really been the case for for middle market businesses, although that's been buffered a little bit just in terms of of you know support they've received from the government. I guess the, the question becomes there is when does the effects of, of that support uh, fall off, and do they have enough liquidity uh, you know while the, the the economy recovers to kind of get back on normal footing?
2: Just kind of a, a follow up question there. You know, it seems like you know, as a distressed investor in this period where there's a lot of liquidity, you know, you could kind of have a choice in which you invest in distressed companies, like in sectors you hadn't looked at before, or structured deals differently, or you could maybe look at companies that are slightly less distressed and more just like highly levered. It seems like you guys have taken the former approach, from what you've been saying. Uh, but you know, feel free to correct me there. But do you feel like that that's just generally been the approach of other distressed investors, you know, that you interact with in the market or you know what do you think is sort of the the pros and cons of one one way or the other, you know, sticking to distressed or going, you know, branching out to slightly healthier deals? Yeah, you,
1: you you've definitely seen that. You know, I think the, the one thing that's been interesting to us is you know, as 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 there's been a struggle to get yield just generally in the economy um, you know people have looked for other places to get that Um, so so one place to see that is in is in the distress markets I mean you know an interesting dynamic that we've observed is you actually have a lot of traditional lenders which are which are now sort of exploring buying loans in the secondary market I mean that that tends to be true for more uh, more stressed and and, you know closer to par type credits than it does for, for deep distress um, you know, but we've seen that um, we, we've seen a number of, of trades where we sold things in our portfolio, uh, and it's been it's actually been a traditional lender as opposed to another distressed investor uh, that's come in and has made that purchase. Uh, so, you know, for us, you know, we, we've tried to stick to our knitting. We haven't tried to to change our strategy and you know, kind of compete in those kind of situations. But it, but it definitely, you know, one of the things people have looked at is particularly that if they have mandates to get uh, to get dollars out is whether you either accept less yield for the, for the same kind of risk or you look at more kind of scratch and dent type paper um, than, than, than deep distress paper. But, you know, for us, you know, we think it's important just to kind of stick to who we are, which is a, a distressed investor and, and really you know, just trying to stay patient in the current environment.
2: Got it. Got it. That makes sense. But it's interesting about the banks competing with distressed investors, for sure, or uh, at least for some loans. But I guess just kind of continuing with the theme of like how the market has been evolving. You know, how do you see the opportunities that changing in 2022? Like, what do you think things are going to look like next year?
1: Yeah. You know, for us, I think there's a couple things which from a macro economic perspective, could could change the opportunities. I mean, the, the first one is is interest rates rising. I, mean, I think if you if you listen to to the Fed speak, that, that's probably not going to be a 2022 event. Um, you know, the, the other thing which I think has sort of held down the amount of of, of loans being offered into the market is you know the stance of, of bank regulators. And, and, and mostly during the pandemic, bank regulators took the position that you know they would they would allow lenders to make you know sort of carte blanche accommodations to to lenders or sorry to borrowers um, you know in situations where they had some sort of COVID related impact and they, they wouldn't require the banks to mark down those assets on their balance sheet. Um, you know, you still really haven't seen regulators start to push that that you know push banks to, to mark that paper down. Um, you, you know, we do think it's sort of a matter of time before before that happens. Um, you know, also from the, from the bank's perspective, you know, they have situations right where they've given COVID uh, amendments and deferrals. You know, in a lot of cases, they haven't required payments, or maybe they've they've required sort of nominal um, principal or interest payments. And you know, once we get past you know, call it the second quarter of of this year, I guess the question becomes, you know, do they get sort of less patient with the kick the can down uh, the road type of of, of approach? um you know if some of these some of these borrowers don't come back and and reperform so so we think you know the combination of of regulators starting to to be a little more aggressive on the banks and making them uh, impair some of these assets and, and just the banks themselves kind of getting uh fatigued with with some of these uh covid-19 deferrals uh will, will likely create a, a, an opportunity set for us but you know kind of going back to the the, the concept of of middle market um borrowers you know you know, we think we're going to go back to an environment that's maybe a little bit less driven by you know COVID nineteen and by by certain industry um, dynamics, and and really you know back to an environment where you know a lot of the businesses that we see, um, you know, when they get into stress, it's it's really specific to to their firm, right? Maybe it's a, a concentrated customer base, maybe it's you know something happens and they just don't have that much access to liquidity. Uh, so we think you know a lot of those types of situations will return to the market. And you know, there's a lot of things which have changed during the pandemic just in terms of behaviors, right? So, so the obvious one is in the uh, commercial office segment. You, you haven't seen this, this huge rush of distressed office loans, um, but you know, pe- people's behaviors are changing. I think you know, employers uh, who have, you know, had to sort of go to an environment where they're working remotely are now sort of questioning how much office space they need uh, and you know, are, are considering more of a hybrid or a remote workforce going forward. Um, We think, you know, similar to to maybe energy or retail, which has become a long-term distress theme, we think, you know, office might become uh, akin to that. And and there's probably other sectors within the economy where where our behaviors have just sort of permanently changed as a result of the pandemic that will offer opportunities for distressed investors.
0: So we saw stocks today tumbling on the heels of concerns surrounding the new Delta variant. Are you seeing that as a possible opportunity for distress going forward? How much attention is the market giving to variants and any damage that they can cause in the near term?
1: Yeah, you know, I think the COVID-19 pandemic in general has been it's been hard to hard to handicap. So you know we've obviously been monitoring the the increase in variants. Uh, And and where that could create sort of new distress. And, you know, I think if it it does, it's going to be in in a lot of the sectors actually that we saw last year. Right. In in sort of restaurants, hospitality, uh, if if there's, you know, shutdowns on either a statewide uh, or or national basis. You know, I think our our current view is is that's unlikely to happen. But, um, you know, this has been a really, really unpredictable uh, event in, in sort of every way. Um, so you know, we continue to monitor it, but I, I, you know, for, for right now, we haven't seen any any near term impacts either in our in our existing portfolio uh, or you know, for for new opportunities that we might look to acquire.
0: And is there anything else that I forgot to ask that you would like to highlight to our listeners today?
1: No, I, you know, like I, th- I think you know, for us, the, the key has really been um, you know how to stay patient in this current environment. You know, it, it's it's definitely an unprecedented time and. Like I said, we, you know we've found ourselves competing against new competitors, but you know distressed the, the markets are, are historically always cyclical, and you know we just think it makes sense to to be patient and, and stick to our knitting.
0: Great, thank you so much, Patrick. It was a pleasure having you with us, and thank you, listener, for tuning in today.